0: Hello, all, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is your hosts, Nick, Chris, with manga to be talking about today on the twenty second of September of twenty twenty one.
1: Yes, that's the that date. That's to do. It's how the immortal song goes. Do you remember? The twenty twenty, 20, 20 second, <laughs> yeah, twenty eighth circuit day of November, September. <laughs> they get the month wrong too. <laughs> November, just repurpose it Yeah, every year. day. Do you remember the fourth of May? <laughs> God damn it. it! Sounds so awful. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: whatever. Just play crazy, the Crazy Town remix, and I'm all, I'm all for it. Oh yeah, dancing in March. <laughs> 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 it, oh fuck I feel like that one that song might have been in Elite Beat Agents which I think is where I kind of really yeah, liked it I learned about that, learned about that this year and, when it, so. and that is also the place where uh, the one Chicago song became utterly heartbreaking uh, because the premise of Elite Beat Agents is a bunch of people need help being cheered up so it'll be like a person for a big baseball game or You know, a person trying to land a skateboard trick. And then there's just a daughter whose dad has died and it's fucking Christmas and she's going to be alone without him. And you have to fucking do the fucking, you have to make sure you hit all your movements right or she's lonely on Christmas. Because the spirit of her father can't show up to comfort her. And you're like, this got a lot heavier than I. And then it's like, now you got to help this guy ride a roller coaster or some shit like that. You're like, all right, there's a real fucking escalation going on here. No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. What is that Chicago song? You're the meaning. You're the inspiration. That's it. You're the meaning in my life. You're the inspiration. Bring yeah. my dead dad back to life. <laughs> <Calls> a conflagration. <laughs> oh, suddenly it's like an eldritch ritual, yeah. like calling him to his bones. Uh... <laughs> Death clock singing it, like ah, shit. <laughs>
0: Oh, we've got so much muck to talk about today. Yeah, that's why I tried
1: to keep the intro short. Boom, we're already yeah, into it no, now.
0: It's right, that's right. <laughs> so Um I you will confess I'm sitting here right now. I don't remember anything that happened this week. I've read all the chapters, but there are gonna be <laughs> probably like five different points during the
1: recording of this where I'm just gonna be all oh, right, and this happens. So. so uh you ever see like that gif? That's, or the image, rather, on Twitter. That's, I, fe- I, I feel, I can't remember what cartoon it is, but it's the guy who's just like, what a week! And then, like, some little fucking shithead kid pops in for the corner. And he's like, it's only Wednesday. That's what my week has been. This has been a week where I was legitimately like, it's like the weekend, right? And they're like, no, it's just Wednesday. I don't, like, I feel like I read these chapters a month ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I've been, well, I mean, it it does probably... In terms of the way that feels, because the manga chapters came out like two days
1: early. So. Yeah, I mean, it Yeah, it did come out on Friday as opposed to Sunday. So there is that as well. But uh, also it's just a very tumultuous week <laughs> following that.
0: <sighs> Let's begin with My Hero Academia.
1: Seems you know, like a good place to
0: start. Get some good old pep talk from our resident psychopathic killer, in order to boost our trouble us from our troubles today so as was visually indicated at the end of the last chapter uh all might was uh upset uh even though deku was reunited with everyone from class 1a and allowed back into ua uh he's still down and we pick up with him in the, this chapter 326 who are you really so we see uh all might in hercules uh, and um, he just kind of like uh, goes off on his own. Uh-huh. And apparently this was under the the excuse that he was going to go check in on the hero-hating groups who refuse to join a shelter. So that's what he's supposedly doing. That is not what he does in this chapter. Uh, he goes back to the site of one of deku's scuffles i believe the one that he had with the class 1a and sees his discarded rebreather mask thing and he picks it up and it's right by the statue of him and, you know he was in his muscle form holding his fist up and someone of course has desecrated it desecrated it with the very awful sign hanging around his neck uh and uh so all might starts kind of Speaking literally to himself via this statue, scolding himself for letting down Deku, his disciple. And he thinks, he reflects on what Aizawa had told him that, you know, even though he can no longer be the symbol of peace, the greatest superhero in the world, there is still a purpose that he can fulfill by just being there and by giving people the push that they need just by being present. But now he just looks at this statue, he's like, you're just getting in the way at this point, all night. And he turns away from himself and disgust and nearly walks into stain's sword what if like stain did like you know accidentally just like gored open his brain because yeah, he was what, trying to be here. what was the patient I did not think he just
1: walked into it <laughs> just just stabs through it says so like oh my goodness
0: oh my goodness this is not what I wanted to do I feel like 30 heroes but this is uh, this is beyond me i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry whoops uh but stain is upset with current All Might because he is committing blasphemy against the great hero All Might. Of course, All Might being the one person that he felt was worthy of the moniker of Hero. And so he demands that All Might take back what he said about All Might. Uh, So, of course, Toshinori, that makes it easier. Toshinori uh, knows who Stain is and uh, he's like, oh yeah, well, we never crossed paths back when I was still a hero, uh, and uh, I never really imagined that we would actually meet this way, you know, because I'm depowered now, and here you are still. And Stane's like, wait, who are you? What? What? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm All Might. See, I I, I, I lost my power, but I'm All Might. And Stane's like, no, you're not.
1: Yeah. Poof. Boom, now I'm big and buffy.
0: Uh, 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 so sick. Ugh. Literally half a second now. <laughs> uh and so toshinori demands it's like so you want to kill me i'm all might hero You're the hero killer you want to kill me and stain says you're not all might (laughs) i don't know exactly what this expression on toshinori's face is or if he's just lifting his chin up because there is a sword at his neck uh but now he's like you know going further that the beyond saying committing blasphemy he's like oh come on you're you're on hero holy ground right now. See, here, heroism is a, is a religion. <laughs> I, know, I don't yeah. know if you knew this, but it is. For
1: Stain, it is. I guess. Yeah, it is. I mean, he's crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's bonkers.
0: But uh, he says, like, well, who the hell are you making all these false claims, saying that you're a hero, saying that you're all might. And so Toshinori explains himself and is like, well, you know what, for my entire life, I was spurred to action. I couldn't sit back powerlessly and just let everyone else fight and be when people were losing their lives. And so even though I didn't have any powers, I, I rushed in, I tried to make the world a better place very much like Deku did, of course, at the beginning of the series and he says, you know, now I've run my course because this is the end result, I'm, I'm powerless. And I would give my life in an instant to protect my disciple but i couldn't bring myself to tell him to take time for himself if i feel as if i'm the only one who's become more, more and more distant from heroes from heroism which throw on yourself a, a bit of a pity party there all right there are literally people who quit being heroes in the course <laughs> of these events you didn't have a choice so yeah uh staying lunges towards him but rather than cutting his head off He just grabs him and moves him around some debris as uh, someone approacheth. And uh, All Might's like, what is he doing? And he reveals one of the reasons probably that he felt, you know, at ease speaking so loosely to him when there was a sword in his throat, which is I didn't feel an ounce of bloodlust from him this entire time. So I guess they never lost that spider sense that comes from being All Might
1: um but which is weird because then they develop that deku now quite literally has a danger sense so you know it's 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 backwards for for all might he's going to develop all of the powers after he loses them now. okay he just starts shooting out whips and fucking making clouds of gas everywhere he's like i'm sorry i don't know how to control it and watch i can make all of my
0: my concentrated power explode in one go i don't really get how this works but uh, <laughs> anyway it makes me it makes my arm blow off so that's <laughs> Uh, and, uh, we see that, uh, this woman is approaching and she uses some sort of, like,
1: I don't know. Yeah. She makes snowman she climbs on top of it. I don't know. You, if we did another one of the veto in the bank matches, she'd be on the list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so she goes up and she takes down the sign that is desecrating, uh, the All Might statue. And she's like, oh, man, these, these guys did it again. Well, well, I'll just clean it up again. And Stain explains for All Might's benefit that, yeah, she comes from one of the nearby shelters, and she cleans up all of this blasphemous uh, stuff that is left by detractors. And All Might's like, who is that? Why, why, why did she bother? And Stain says, that woman was the last person that All Might saved. And we get a flashback to back when... All Might faced All for One for the last time, the fight that ended with the United States of Smash. And it, it's the woman who was buried under the rubble that All Might was desperately trying to protect. So that's going to be a tally under did not think that this woman would ever come back into the story. <laughs> um, but she can uh, she can join the ranks of unnamed but kind of important My Hero Academia characters uh, with, you know, the beast- Lady that Deku saved. So there you go. Uh
1: huh. It's gonna be four, a few more like that. Like can't you see, kid? Uh. Just like a, I need like two more and I can make a boy band. Deku's dad. Yeah. <laughs> All my favorites. Um,
0: I'm sure that some of Endeavor's sidekicks never got named. You
1: know what? There were plenty of them. Oh so. yeah, yeah. We got a couple in there. So. Loud dude during the dude who doesn't want to let Deku into the school guy. Yes. There you go.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of people in relation to Deku specifically that aren't (laughs) named. So, but yeah, so Stain gets really worked up uh, while All Might is looking upon this and says that, you know, in the worst of times, All Might would maintain that grin of his and he would devote himself to. To saving the people it didn't have anything to do with his powers the man we knew as all could not live his life any other way he carved those ideals into his very soul like i'm gonna carve this sword into your brain because i am a murderer i can't let you forget about this because i'm the one inspiring you right now but i am a psychopath
1: so. i am yeah not so bonko, so you know
0: uh and he rejects the idea that, you know, the end result of all my terrorism is just, you know, the shriveled body they live behind. He says, this, it's not, it, this is not the end result because it's not over. His influence lives on. He left that flickering ember behind and it is being nurtured by those select few until the ember will grow anew into a roaring blaze, which of course is echoing. The idea that was uh, brought up in that fight between All for One and All Might, that the embers of One for All were all that was left inside of him. And he was trying to shield it, but it was it was dying down. And Stain is now saying, no, the real fire was the friends we made along the way. It's the same ideas we basically just had with One for All as the bonds between people. So. But hey, All Might is looking at this woman who is doing this and he, he's, he's tearing up because he's like, he can't believe it that you know this, this, is, that this has happened. And uh, Stain turns to leave All Might behind and he says a hero can only claim that title as long as his soul burns fiercely in service of others. But say that a god has fallen prostrate upon the earth and his divine soul has turned feeble and mortal. And All Might's like, Wait a minute, how long have you been following me around?
1: It's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> he's like, a couple days, we well, got a problem with it? I watched you while you shower. You miss behind your ears a lot, dude. Just want to let you know, I'm helping you out. Stain was uh, part of the Tartarus breakout, so yeah, who
0: knows how long he's been just following after All Might, who's been following after Deku. Uh,
1: but. It's- It's just one person away from being that meme of the kid, like the people in the church who all have a gun to the back of the head and a sniper in the very back watching them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
0: So All Might's like, wait a minute. Have you been following me? And Stane says, no, I don't presume to know you. But if you are a true hero.
1: Make use of this information throws a knife and a piece of paper on it. <laughs> Great. All might doesn't figure it out and he's like, what could this knife mean? Like all the There's important a piece if, of paper on it. all the pieces of paper just flying away with the wind, and he's just like, This knife must mean something. Maybe it's like that third star the last Star Wars movie, and I have to like follow it along the curvature of a sun for it to reveal a hidden map to me. Oh,
0: thank god erosion doesn't exist in this <laughs> universe. <laughs>
1: It's a long time ago. They hadn't invented erosion yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) right? People just live to be forever, Uh too. Uh, But then Stain wraps up this whole thing where he basically says, like, no, I know you're all might, but you're not all might because I'm crazy. And so I can't do that. But. Make use of this information and then come for the life of Stain, the man who murdered 40 heroes. For The sake of fixing this society, and uh, the girl who's fixing up the statue just looks up and is like, Oh, the rain's letting up. Symbolism, yeah. I do really like that we have this whole thing where Stain basically just like, Get your head out of your ass, all Might. By the way, I have murdered
1: 40 people. In cold- <laughs> I am a villain. Don't forget that. (laughs) Uh, Nick, I believe if I look for stain under TV Tropes, he'll probably have anti-hero listed under his title, which isn't a villain. I would disagree with that. The the Punisher isn't a villain, is he, Nick? (laughs) I played a Marvel video game and it listed him under the hero tag, so check and mate.
0: Yeah, but Saint doesn't have his co- his own comic book line.
1: That is true. Not yet. Not yet he doesn't. What did you think of this chapter? It's kind of fallen into the same space as the Uraraka chapter where I'm like, I can acknowledge this is a decent story development, but for some reason it's just not clicking with me. Like, I just didn't feel a ton. I do like the notion of, oh, hey, it's the last person at All Might saved, and she comes to fix the statue every day, and she does it. Regardless of how dangerous things are right now. And I'm like, okay, that's a very Admiral thing. It's a nice, like, call back to do too. And it's a good way to, like, reintroduce All Might to sort of the idea of, like, hey, you save these people. Like, you have to continue on your influence because, the, you know, like, your influence is, your legacy precedes you at this point. Like, there are people who still fight for you. So you need to get through it. Like, I, I do appreciate that. Um, there's just one of those moments where I'm like, I don't know if. Stain was 100% the right person to deliver the speech. As you mentioned, he is like a serial killer. Yeah. So it is one of those things. But I know he's also very popular. So I'm not surprised Stain gave a cool motivational kind of speech moment. Um, But yeah, I mean, I didn't hate it. I wasn't like, what an awful chapter or anything like that. It just, you know, did super gel or anything.
0: I see where you're coming from. I felt that this was a surprising Because I definitely was not expecting that this would be a chapter where Stain comes and gives a motivational speech (laughs) and then leaves. Yeah. Um, And also, I, again, was not expecting that this lady that All Might saved was ever going to make a return appearance. Ever. Um, But so, you know, her inclusion is, you know, a cool detail to really tie together this idea that just because All Might is done being the big, super, super awesome number one hero does not mean that he is... Done being an important figure uh, in this series, and it is nice that he did feel like he had let you know the person that relies upon him most down. But that just because you know there was that shortcoming doesn't mean that he's completely worthless. Just because he doesn't have his powers doesn't mean he's completely worthless. And he has been feeling that way for some time now. It's not just the stuff with Deku that's been building up to this. It's also like you know. We would see All Might occasionally, and people were just like not treating him quite the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, when Bakugo has to like shove him out of the way because he no longer has powers, when he shows up to like you know be a substitute teacher for class 1a and nobody's paying attention to him for a bit. So, there's that thing that's been building up for a while, and th- there did need to, in addition to Deku getting his head out of his ass, there did need to be that kick in the pants for him, yeah. Um, and I think that the thing that really does tie it all together for me is just that one panel of Stain staring over his shoulder being like, I murdered 40 heroes. This moment doesn't make me a good guy. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be a little bit... That would be a thing
1: we would be snarking about if that had not been brought up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, yeah. let's Undead uh, Let's move on to Undead Unluck number 79. In spite of that, I... So... We uh, open in a flashback with Andy yes. drinking a boba tea. There you go. Yeah. People people wanted to see it, and uh, we're flashing back to when he first. Yeah, met... They wanted
0: they wanted to see him doing it while balancing it on his on his huge rack. Uh,
1: so. Is that a, is that a meme? Is that a thing that like women so do? It was a it was a big meme
0: a little while ago. I think I want to say a couple of years at this point. But yes, I don't know. You balance a boba tea on your boobs and drink from it.
1: I so. I, I feel ancient. Because I don't, I've never had a boba tea, and they've become so like ubiquitous that mm-hmm. now I'm almost scared. Like it, it feels like I'm scared to go in and try to order one because I feel like I'm going to get it wrong. Like one boba tea, and they're like, "What the fuck? You, there's different flavors, asshole. What kind do you want?" And that—that's yep. my anxiety kicks in. I'm like, "Never mind Goodbye. and I I leave. Like I just never go back, you know. So I had one in college,
0: and then one more recently, but I don't like, I don't like the pudding things Uh, so it kind of is like what was the point of me getting it then
1: (laughs) yeah it's everywhere like it's like i I can think of a ton of like comedy manga that have certainly made a joke out of a chapter of characters getting boba tea and things like that i'm like oh man feel old anyway Danny drinks a boba tea and this is when he first meets fuko and he thinks to himself at that moment at first i was planning on messing with her and we get a cover page of when she accidentally stabbed him, because he just walked into her knife. And we cut back to the present, where Andy, Juez, uh, Shen, Lotla, not Lotla, uh, Mui, is that her name? The girl with untruth now? Yes. And uh, big orb girl, Tatiana. There we go. I got yes. everybody. They are rushing to try to get up to the tower, Uh, but Lotla, Bunny, and Rip are interfering. And... Rip just notes, wow, I can't believe Creed got beat, but I'm not going to let you guys get any further. I won't let you see Fuko. Uh Immediately, they're like, hey, why don't you just move out of the way? He's like, "Nah, because if I kill you guys right now, that would take out like half a union, which is going to make it a lot easier to get to the Ark afterwards. So like, this is just like convenient all the way around. I can just murder you guys and then get the stuff I want. This is, this yeah. is a deal all around. Um so andy kind of notes like hey please just like don't do this or whatever uh shen has a moment of like hey i understand what you feel but he wants to actually get involved shen says remember you decided that we're best suited to handle him so you go on ahead and he goes to do this uh andy goes running off and uh rip basically says all right we're doing it latla she says fine but only once. It's way too scary. And he just summons a crescent rain of his little scythe kicks that are going everywhere. Uh Jen notes, I can't figure out their path. Uh Andy starts seeing a bunch of attacks and one cuts off his arm. And they're like, Oh, can't use can't use your arm now, because now it's been cut off with unrepair. Won't heal. And uh You just have Rip being like, and you can't use Unjustice because we'll end up targeting Lotla, but the Defected Slash will just come after you anyway. So, looks like you guys have been checkmated. You won't be able to do it. Uh, We see Andy there looking down at the Union Communicator. And he starts thinking again, at first, I was fueled by curiosity. But once I saw that meteorite, I thought I actually stood a chance at dying. And that's why I hit on her. That's why I protected her. But I soon realized I was sure not even you could kill me. You won't be able to kill me. And in spite of that, in spite of that, I want to see you. So a very little cute moment even showing the, the uh, I don't know what you would call it, flashback, but only in the memory of Andy where they spent a bunch of time together yeah. back when he was a cowboy. So, <laughs> this <one is> crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so Rip comes in saying it's useless. You cutting off all your sections of the body is an attack of repair to you. So you bypassed it once before because you didn't understand the rules. But now that you understand the rules, you won't be able to do it. And then he just says, "Sorry, boy," uh but I sorry, bud. He said, "That'd be great if you did call him." Boy. Don't call me boy. <laughs>
0: That's really weird. <laughs>
1: did you ever? Did you watch Shang-Chi? Not yet, no. Okay, uh, there's, I, won't, I won't mention it then. There's a, a reference to that, but we'll talk about it some other day. Uh, he does says, I'm going up. So just you wait, Fuko. And he starts cutting his own head off. And <laughs> Rip's just like, it really doesn't affect you, does it? <laughs> and uh, Andy starts shooting up in the air, and his rest of his body starts regenerating from his neck. He says, just like you, I've got a person I'd risk it all for. Uh, and calls down to Tatiana for some help. She uh, basically loads him up on a panel of hers, shoots him off into the sky saying, I don't like it, but you're the right guy for Fuko. And he flies all the way up. There's a moment where it looks like might get involved and Nico smacks him with an orb, just hits him in the face. And he says, don't you go getting in the way of romance. And uh, Andy thinks, I used to be content with just winning your heart. And he rises up at the ceiling where we can see Fuko and Billy inside the tower. And he just says, hey, yeah, uh, I love you, Fuko. And that's the chapter. And she looks outside and is like, what, that, that's a really weird looking bird. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that bird have such a gigantic penis? <laughs> that's always, it's <laughs> never happened. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, it's a nice chapter. Uh-huh. Um, I do like that we get Andy flat out confirming, like, yeah. When I was hitting on Philco originally, I was doing it for very selfish purposes. Yes. But there I, then I fell in love with her, legitimately. It's like, all right, it's good to know that. I,
1: so. it, to me, it's it's even a little bit more important because there was also kind of always a somewhat gross implication that the a large part of the reason there was a romance between them was because Andy believed the only unluck that could potentially kill him is if they had intercourse together so there was a portion of it that almost felt like a like a like a breeding thing like he was just trying to get her along until that could happen but this confirms that is not his intention at all he knows it will never result in him dying but he's okay with that he has fallen in love with her and it's it's a good sentiment to not just have but also to show to the audience because again it takes away one of the other like very creepy implications to this. I think that
0: it's, yeah, it's better on the two fronts. It's better that he has the admission of like, no, I was doing it selfishly before, but I do legitimately feel these things. And yeah, like you say, the fact that he's like, this is never going to kill me. is yeah. like, but it doesn't matter. I fucking love her. Yeah. And I just want to be with her. It's like, that's really nice. It's, you know, a much, it, it takes out, you know, that element of selfishness. Like you say, that's kind of, even if you're a- if you're able to it takes away you
1: having to look past that to get into the relationship basically yeah. so oh yeah. also it's pointed yeah. out he pulls out the card at the end, so perhaps we're gonna be seeing Victor soon. yeah, we'll see all right, so <laughs> what's Boruto! Hide
0: and Seek is on the cover but that's not na- the name of the chapter. The real name of the chapter is Run In. You know, like when you order a run in, like uh-huh. you know in a wrestling match, that's what? that's exactly what happens here. It's chapter number 62 by the way.
1: This chapter's garbage. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Nick? How can it possibly be bad? We spent 60% of this chapter complained about the censor the guy who fucked up his job.
0: This chapter is 44 pages long. It could have been 20 pages long because the first half of it is the same thing over and over and over again. Kawaki's running this way. Code is trying to intercept him. Code is saying stupid stuff over his phone to his not girlfriend. And... The one thing of value that comes out of this chapter is it establishes a new character for Code. Awkward small talk, Code, <laughs> because it comes up like three it's, times. It's in this the chapter. best part he's of really the chapter. Fast. I. He's I, just like he's just talking to her while he's running through. For us. like I don't really know what to talk about.
1: Right he's now. like, so I'm really like, what do I do? I bring up work or is that too formal? Should I talk about interests first? Like we haven't seen each other in a while, so I don't want to make it awkward. But do I just immediately ask about, like, his family? I mean, he has none. We kidnapped not to murder his family, and presumably at some point. He's an orphan, so God only knows nothing good happened there. But, like, how do we really, like, connect is what I'm thinking. And then he catches up with him, and he opens up with, Yeah, Kwaki, you no, know, long time no see. Uh, J- hey, wait, <laughs> hey, you fat crap. You big fat sack of garbage. You big chubby chunk. You're just like, what are you doing, <laughs> Like... Mean? Also, well, he has it. Over- <laughs> <laughs> like, what a weird thing.
0: Like, oh, you got like a family that looks after you. How you be, You've been eating like home-cooked
1: meals instead of the
0: gruel that we gave you. Well, you look fat now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great too if it's paired alongside me. It's like... Oh, I wonder the reason I feel like you gained weight is because you were a malnourished child the last time I saw you. Now you're like a teenager with a happy life, you big you big piggy or something like that. i just like, I don't understand.
0: Oh, wow. wow, you've got people who look after you and actually value your existence beyond your use as a tool. You fat sack of shit.
1: (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to take these insults from a person who has a fucking studded leather bracelet, hot glued across his hair. I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but I'm not taking that.
0: Oh, you know what? Little piggy, I found a way to value my own existence within (laughs) the scheme of the way that I was raised as a tool for someone else's resurrection. And this makes me cool. This (laughs) strap across my face. (laughs) So (laughs) code is lame. No news there. Um, Meanwhile in Konoha, guys, Kawaki is missing. No, he's not. Stop pranking his Boruto. <laughs> no, really, look, he's missing. This is a shadow clone. Hey, sensor guy, is Kawaki missing? No, nah, his chakra's coming from inside the house. He's still in there. I done and done.
1: <laughs> Nothing can beat that. If there's, hey. one, if there's one thing I've learned from being a ninja, it's that there are universal truths to this world that are absolute. Nobody can breathe fire, you can't see it through walls, and sensor ninjas can sense anything. Done and done. <laughs> now, let's go to bed. <laughs> hey, look, the Kawaki Shadow Clone's gone. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know, I know, I have a wife, who I could easily just say, hey, could you activate your uh, Baki gun so you could look at, Kwaki to make sure it's not a clone because that's (laughs) that's an established thing we could do I could easily just call her upstairs right now but no need to do it because the sensor ninza outside says that is definitely Kowaki inside and that is the character whose name I has never learned so who else would I trust but him
0: you know what you bring up that detail and it never occurred to me (laughs) That there's a fucking
1: Piyaka gun user in the house. She <laughs> wouldn't even, would even have pre- to. Go, she wouldn't even have to go upstairs. It provides 360 degree vision. He could look. She could look straight upstairs. And be like, nah, I had to call it upstairs. Uh, but you know what
0: the flaw in that and that uh, criticism is, though, okay. is that that would require he not to be useful. <laughs> She's
1: watching her soaps right now, Nick. She's got a lot of important things to do.
0: Oh my. god. God, that makes me hate this chapter even more. It's like it's just within
1: arm's reach, and no, Naruto leans his head out to talk to the freaking useless. It's it is it is almost to the point of being a hilarious sitcom. Like this is just like like a dopey comedy series, and it's like, <laughs> oh, look, hold on, Hinata, not my Byakugan using wife. I've got to go and handle this.
0: Okay, don't disturb me while I'm using the biakagon to watch my soaps at half time speed. <laughs> It gives me the ability to watch them in 10k!
1: (laughs) Tell the Kawaki clone upstairs to be quiet! What was that, honey? (laughs) You know what? I could follow up with that, but I don't want to. I have to hear what the censor ninja outside has to say. What's his name? Doesn't have one, honey! (laughs) we do all know that! Fucking no, I'm the Hokage, I don't have to know people's names. We talked about this before, I'm not learning his name or he means <laughs> something to me. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned from being the Hokage,
0: and having to stand in for every single ninja who lives in the village and represent all of them and be their shield and their spirit in all in one. It's that I don't need to learn people's <laughs> names.
1: I'm going to learn every ninja's name around this town. I just call him his time. Hey, Censor Ninja, can you help me out here? <laughs> How many Censor Ninjas do we even employ? Come on. <laughs> What's our one classmate? The the
0: the the, the blonde one? Uh, the Eno? Yeah, it's her job to know <laughs> their names.
1: Like, you guys were such good friends. You're like, yeah, and now she's Sensor Ninja to me. So it all works out. Everything works out for Boruto, Naruto, whatever one I am. <laughs> he doesn't remember his own name anymore (laughs) there's like another
0: sequence that is entirely pointless of people turning to each other and being like hey shikamaru what do you think i don't know sai what do you think i don't know you what do you think i guess we better watch him and make sure that code doesn't show up code shows up and so kawaki confronts confronts code and so he's like i came to see you code and goes like what about they stare at each other literally for three straight <laughs> panels before talks. Ugh! the talks? Oh, this, this,
1: the pacing in this chapter is complete garbage. So what are you talking uh, about? We're 28 pages in and Code and, <laughs> and Code and Kawaki just met and we found out the sensory uh, ninjas were worthless. <laughs> So Kawaki's like, I hear you
0: want revenge against everyone who killed Ishiki. And Code's like, that is true. And Kawaki's like, well, I'm the one who killed Ishiki. The others were not involved. You should kill me and just leave Konoha out of it. It's all my fault. And if I hadn't fled Kara, he wouldn't have died. So this wouldn't have all happened. Code laughs for two straight panels before speaking. Before he says, oh, that's cute. You want me to spare your friends in exchange for your own life? talk! <laughs> it's honestly... Honestly, this chapter legitimately made me go, oh, that's our boy, Code. <laughs> this, and, is the wonderful, this is the wonderful thing about like making a mockery of how lame Code is. Because now we've kind of like adopted him as our own. <laughs> so when he does something lame, I'm going to be like, oh, Code, you suck. <laughs> that's so great. When he does something cool, I'm like, oh, you do
1: it, Code. <laughs> yeah, you go, buddy. He's my favorite character in Boruto now. <laughs> he's For like... all the right and wrong reasons. Legitimately,
0: Code has a very straightforward and logical and kind of cool villain explanation in this sequence. Because he goes, I was always planning on killing literally everyone because I want to resurrect the Otsutsuki god thing and destroy the entire world. The reason I swore vengeance on Konoha and all the people of Onoshiki's death was just for me. But I was going to do that anyway. So you just did this for nothing. You kind of suck. And that's basically how that goes.
1: <laughs> oh, um, man.
0: So that all happens. Uh, and then he hefts up Kawaki, and I'm not sure what exactly he's planning to do. Okay, so actually, I do. I've forgotten the girl's name already. <laughs> Ada, or Ama? Ada. Ada, something like that. <laughs> he doesn't name her, but he says, I was going to kill you but I'm working with someone who wants you alive. So you're coming with me. And he starts to drag him into his straps. But fortunately, <laughs> Boruto has... I'm sorry. What a <laughs> He starts to drag him into his straps, which, remember, are his portal thing. So... <sighs> Boruto, throughout this, established, again, in an entirely too long a sequence, that he was going to use his connection to Kawaki to go after him, so then people could use his chakra signature to detect them both. Makes sense. So he goes and does that, and since Kawaki barely got outside the outskirts of Konoha, he caught up to him really quickly, codes dragging Kawaki into his portals, Boruto arrives in the nick of time and drop kicks him, and I don't see how this happened. So code is lifting up kawaki like a badass with one hand around his neck Mm -hmm. and while lifting him above his head he's going downward into the straps under his feet and he's knee deep in one panel and then naboroto comes flying in flying dragon kick Mm -hmm. and code without dropping kawaki who is still in the position he was being held in by the neck goes flying Heels overhead he his he was knee deep in the ground and he goes tumbling through the air after this kick
1: so i don't know how this happened but boruto kicked him really hard i guess (laughs) kicked him real so hard you can't even see the straps on the ground afterwards no just speed lines it's just speed lines (laughs) just speed lines (laughs) and by the way just saying that. You can just see speed lines. That's all it is. It's just speed lines. Now I don't know what speed lines are really because like I guess you could say the speed lines are coming out of Boruto but the way the panel is framed your eyes are drawn towards Boruto so that's the way the lines kind of are red which would make it look like Code just fucking super through Boruto basically like it looks like the wrong person is getting their ass kicked in this panel. (laughs)
0: Um, so Code goes flying, but then lands on his feet. And Boruto is like, Next time, at least, tell me where you're going, will you? So I don't get yelled at. Because no one is allowed to look co- good in this chapter, <laughs> except bizarrely enough,
1: Code. <laughs> well, <laughs> and ho- even he is Code. So, <laughs> well, hold on a moment, Nick, because we are forgetting two things. One, We forgot when Damon wakes up to scream. No, I didn't forget that. (laughs) I omitted that. (laughs) Is Is it morning already? And Ada says, shut up, go to sleep. And he doesn't show up again the rest of the chapter. And we also uh, glossed over Amado being told Kawaki escaped. And he's like, you big dumb fucking idiots. Did you get tricked by some fucking child? You're all such fucking (laughs) stupid idiots.
0: This. Who did you assign to look after him? Was it Ino? Was it Shikamaru? Was it anyone important? Uh, it was mustache dude over here. Though. Who is that?
1: <laughs> well, as long as you don't have like an easy excuse like there was someone with the Byakugan in the house who could have easily like, done well, it any technically
0: time. There, technically, there wasn't one person <laughs> the
1: Byakugan, Because Himawari has it too. <laughs> there were multiple. Like Bor and naruto while he's looking at the door. <laughs> a fucking Sensory Ninja Hinamaru is like pulling on his shirt, like, "Hey, Daddy, I think the clone of Kawaki is a monster in my room." And also, Kawaki's not in his room. There's a shadow
0: clone. Oh, silly kid, you're just being. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> play, play with
1: your broken vase, girl. <laughs> girl. <laughs> That's a <what's- laughs> <my> favorite toy. <laughs> <laughs> it's broken again. <laughs> like, yes. It's her like talking it into bed like it's a doll. <laughs> Night-night, broken Voss. Like the board, Mr. Broken Voss. comes <laughs> out through the hole.
0: <laughs> and the
1: best way, goes and it, cries is, to <laughs> it is literally the only defining character trait that she has in the history of Borto. <laughs> is she like to not that got broken Oh shit! All right. <laughs> oh man, I never want bored to the end because it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> All right, kaiju
0: number eight. Fuck. Chapter forty-four. Kikaru <clears throat> is staring down kaiju number nine coming out of the ant head as it tries to kill Kafka. So meanwhile, in base isao Shinomiya is told by one of the other uh, guys i believe it's the guy who was watching the battle uh against kafka with kikaru uh previously and uh he basically is like i will deliver exposition but in a sassy way so that it sounds at least somewhat conversational um he's like yeah uh if we use the numbers weapons then that's going to cut years off your life and if you do that repeatedly, it'll kill you. So don't do that except as a last resort. And he sounds like, I know, shut up. But he also says in a much more cool way, this is a trial that the next generation must overcome. Uh, Kikaru immediately cuts to the chase with Kafka and asks him if he can transform. And Kafka says, I've tried a lot, but I can't seem to do it so kikaru immediately theorizes that it might be something that kaiju number nine is is doing uh the kaiju starts to prepare more of his explosion burst swollen bullet things and so kikaru uh says okay listen i'm going to beat it up and halt its movements and if it's hindering your transformation then there should be a temporary reprieve from that while i'm beating the shit out of it I can't beat this thing on my own though. We need your power to defeat it. So they're going to try and work together. So the two of them split off. And so, uh, number nine is like, Oh, I can't keep track of both of you this way. All right. So he just multiplies himself. (laughs) Two
1: heads. (laughs) (laughs) Problem solved. Like, damn, I
0: hate that this is really easy for you. Uh, the two of them dodge and deflect bullets. Uh, until eventually Kikoru takes one in her side and uh, she it clearly messes her up a bit. You know, Immediately she's spitting up blood, but she keeps on charging in, uh, which surprises Kaiju number nine because he's like, wait, what the fuck? No, I, I hit you with a bullet. You're supposed to stop attacking me. But uh, she keeps coming in and as she does so and she starts hacking into it, she thinks to herself, I am fed up with suffering losses without being able to do anything. And this time for sure, I will do the saving. And as she goes in, uh, Isao and the other guy are watching. And the other guy's like, You know, it's almost like watching her in her younger <laughs> days.
1: It's almost like watching <laughs>
0: that person.
1: Is he just like, Elbows him? You know what I'm talking about? It's your dead wife. Hey, buddy, her wife, remember? Your yeah. wife was <laughs> like, This dude seems, because he's the same dude from the board meeting who brought up it's just your day, and remember, your wife died in that attack. And I really think this is just his attitude. Like, it's just the commander who's just like, hey, why do you keep bringing up my dead wife so much? Remember that one time I said I was going to go out to Starbucks to get everybody drinks, and I asked what your order was, and you said your order was a caramel latte with your dead, your wife is dead extra foam? And I went there. I said it, but that's not actually a drink they can make. So I feel like you need to apologize or something. <laughs>
0: All right. <laughs> it's time for a flashback. A Kikoru flashback to when Kikoru was a little kid and she actually would watch her mom on the news and watch her mom being a big old hero, repelling kaiju attacks and stuff. Uh, and people uh, B- B- was saying, it's like, you know what? This was this this defense is entirely thanks to one of the kaiju forces weapons. Number four. Uh, hikari Shinomiya who swooped through the battlefield with the grace of a Valkyrie and so here's this Valkyrie with this pigtailed daughter and we're not going to draw any comparisons beyond that between Kikoro and Noel at all <laughs> shut up so it stops right there <clears throat> uh, and so you know Kikoru would be you know watching stuff and you know like if you'd be watching the news with like other kids at school and being like oh she's so cool and she's like yeah my mommy's so great and uh, and then, you know, like when her mom got back, you know, uh, Iori, uh Iori would be like, Hey, don't bother your mom, Kikoru, because you know, sh- she's been fighting kaiju all day. Surely she's really exhausted. And of course, Kikoru is like, Yeah! And she's playing with her daughter really energetically, really happy to spend time with her. Um, and Kikoru would tell us, like, Oh, we were watching you in the shelter, you were so cool. And uh Hikaru, but the thing that uh Kikoru says that gets her attention is like, Oh, she so made to the shelter. So everyone's okay. No one was hurt. That's great news. And she's got a big grin on her face after she hears that, um, she has a bandage on her arm and Kikoro observes this and like, Oh, did you get hurt in the fight? And Ikari says, yeah, the Kaiju was kind of strong, but I'm okay. But Kikoro says to her, mommy, I'm going to join the defense force and I'm going to save you. And her parents are both kind of, you know, like put off by this because little kid wanted to take responsibility like this. But she says, "Okay, then when you're in trouble, mommy will save you. And then she died, of course, in battle. Uh Smash got to her funeral and everyone, of course, is, you know, mourning her news is spreading wide about her demise because she was the, asleep, the
1: lieutenant was elbowing the commander hey you now your wife's dead up there <laughs> just yes, keeps...
0: yes. oh yeah i'm sorry you must really be sore about it okay i'll stop bringing it up
1: on account of your wife being dead <laughs>
0: <clears throat> but um they also say in this that, you know, because of her sacrifice, the damage was much less great than if she hadn't intervened. And so everyone, you know, owes her a great a gratitude and, and a great debt. But Kikaru is just, you know, in shock over this. And she thinks to herself, as a little kid, I was a liar. I said that I was going to save her and I didn't save her. And when she looks to her father, he is cold and stone faced and is definitely not to show emotion. And so she wipes her her eyes and she thinks to herself, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to save you, but I'll make up for it by being the strongest and I'll save everyone in your place. And in the present, as she's chopping off limb after limb of Kaiju number nine, she says, I swear that on any battlefield I step foot on, no comrade will die on my watch. This is a good Kikoru chapter.
1: It was very good. It was a good little flashback. It's sad. Uh, now, I don't remember if they mentioned at any point <clears throat> that before the mom died, uh, the Kaiju that killed her cursed her and her family to make sure no one could ever mention what happened that way her older siblings could be abusive to her and like you could forgive them later because it's like, oh there was magic involved. um but besides that, really, really good. I like the narrative they're going for. It's not anything special. like this is t- legitimately. A very cookie-cutter kind of story, but it's just executed in a good way. Like, the moment when you can see the eyes change in the commander, like, oh, this is when he became a more serious, probably hard man. And Kikoru changed there as well, but in a different way. Uh, it's very cool, and I love the big kind of one-and-a-half-page spread at the end of Kikoru's face. Like, it's just a very cool visual.
0: Yeah, and I like that, it's, you know, we have this fuller explanation of Kikov's motivations, and it recontextualizes her desire to be the best, uh-huh. which is, I have to be the strongest so that I can save everyone. Uh, you know, it's like a heroic desperation more than a, a, any type of arrogance. So, yeah, makes her a much, much better uh, major supporting character, so... Yeah, I quite liked it. Yep. All right. Let's talk about Spy Family Mission 53. Uh you're killed a bunch of assassins last time and uh the the coordinator of the hitmen is just looking over them like, "Wow, you killed like all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of people. Really good." Uh the director of course is uh, cleaning stuff up and Yor just says, "I mean, yeah, I killed them." When you point a blade at someone, you don't get to complain when one is pointed back at you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, they talk about that, and you are like, you know what? I mean, can I convince you to walk away from this? We could, you know, avoid killing each other from past this point. Uh, but the the coordinator just says, I mean, we've already been paid for our work in advance, so we can't walk away from that now. Uh, and I suspect anyway, that that gentleman there isn't going to let us leave alive. And yours looking at, 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 uh, the director is like, stop glaring at them. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, he shortly enough is like, you know, pulls a gun cause he's like, yeah, you're all just people who see war as a chance to make a quick buck and our country will be better off without your, you know, people like you. Uh, and he says, you know, Take a moment to reflect on all this while you're getting eaten, my sharks. Uh, but uh, there are still more hitmen uh, around. Uh, one of them, Attacks from the Shadows, nearly takes off uh, uh, the director and yours heads with a swipe of his sword. And uh, the director tries to take him out with a shot of his gun, but he hits him with the sheath of his sword in the ribs, which seems to um, crack three ribs. Judging by the sound effect bubble.
1: He might have had some popcorn in his pocket, and that's what cracked uh, instead.
0: Okay. And also it sends him flying into the wall, so he slumps over, uh, stunned, and is left to deal with this guy on her own. Uh, she tries to deflect his sword with one of her hairpin things, but it goes flying out of her hand. So this guy is clearly on a different level. Uh, a, an intense fight ensues because this guy is clearly on a different level from all of the pitmen that she had a much easier time dealing with. Uh, and all on top of that, you know, she's tired from having fought through, I don't know, 40 assassins by this point. And, uh, so she's fighting with this guy and she thinks, reflects on some of the stuff that the director said, like what's going to happen if she dies or if she's seriously wounded which is that, yeah, uh, Lloyd Forger is going to be informed that you were forced to take an emergency transfer. And so you're like, yeah, okay. I mean, I don't really want that to happen. And she's like, yeah, if that happens, then uh, I'm, I really am a heartless woman. But she's just thinking about what's going to happen with her family if, this, if uh, that's the option they have to pursue. And uh, as she's fighting with this guy, some of her hair gets chopped off, a pretty long lock of it. And she's like, oh, no, this is going to be so suspicious when I come back. I'll, I'll have like a different hairstyle. I'm going to have to explain that to them. And then she's like, I, I can't just let myself get distracted by details like this. And the swordsman assassin looks at her as he sheaths this sword. And he says, if you fear death, then you're the one who should withdraw. And Yara says, I mean, I'm not going to do that. No, uh, but um." Then the uh, coordinator guy is trying to get in her head, too, because he's like, look, you're a hired gun, too. We know how it is. You could just, you know, we could cut you in on the bounty. You know, you can just get out of our way. But uh, yours trying to fight this guy will be distracted by this. Am I distracted being distracted by your own thoughts? And eventually she realizes while she's thinking about what this guy's saying about, hey, we'll cut you in on the money and stuff that I mean. I do this to support my family, which I guess is the same as just doing it for money, but I don't really need the money anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I guess I kill people from my country, but is that it? I mean, am, am I doing this for no reasons? Why am I still being an assassin? And of course, all of these thoughts are in her head and eventually it costs her because her heel gets caught in like a gap between two tiles on the deck and that causes her to lose her footing briefly and she gets smacked right in the cheek it looks like with the sword hilt, and it sends her flying end over end and crashing into the wall dazed as well and then the assassin comes over points a sword at her throat and she's just thinking oh he's gonna kill me and I still need to pick up Lloyd's shirts from the dry cleaner and return the books that Anya checked out but why am I thinking about that right now but why is this guy pointing a sword at me Oh, my head hurts. Oh, Yuri's flashing before my eyes. <laughs> Not her life, but Yuri. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess the point is that it's, you know, he was the most important person in her life for so much of it. And, uh, but when he's thinking, when she's thinking about Yuri, she thinks about when he brought home the news. Uh, oh yeah, I'm going to be working for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and you don't have to support me anymore. You can just, you know, live off of your earnings now. And so you just like, Yeah, I don't really need to be an assassin for the pay anymore. I guess I could just stop. If I die here, I wouldn't be able to go to the library. And I wouldn't be able to go to the dry cleaner. Uh, And so it seems like she's down. And the sword assassin guy is like, go take care of Olga. I think we're done with this. But then a hairpin cuts off the coordinator guy flying past his face. And UR says, No. And then she thinks about Olka, holding her child and saying, I just want to live a quiet life. And when she thinks of that moment, she remembers why she started being an assassin, which is, I was just, and but she forgot about it because she was just trying to keep everything together up to this point. And she says, it's not for money. It's not for country. Well, it is, but it isn't. But all I really wanted was to protect Yuri's carefree life. The world is soiled with needless tragedies, and to prevent just one of them from befalling him or anyone else, takes thorough cleaning. And that still hasn't changed. In fact, now it's more true than ever. And she's thinking of her family. Bond included. Didn't think about what she had to do for Bond when she got back home, but Bond's there too.
1: She yeah, thinks about Bond's
0: there too. And in true superhuman Yor fashion, she grabs the tip of the sword... And while thinking to herself, I don't need to be a peace and I don't care if I have to bloody my hands, she just snaps the tip of it off, which is not how swords like that react to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she gets up and she starts going after this guy who starts swinging the sword at her, cuts her across the torso And she, it's a grazing blow, but blood spurts out of it. And she just thinks, if I have to live a life that could end at any moment, if it means that I have to leave the Forger family, I think Lloyd would respect that. He would understand. And she thinks back to what he told her, that you know, to endure a harsh job for the sake of another, he would admire that. And as she punches the dude's lights out, she just says, I won't give up this fight has found her resolve on this mission. Hooray!
1: Yeah, uh, I kind of mentioned last time that I was like, you know, a very cool stylistic uh, like, action chapter. I was like, yeah, it's not really the chapter I'm looking for. This felt more like the chapter I'm looking for, where you know, we're getting your being introspective about her life, and finding a new resolve you know whereas before was always just like oh i did it for yuri and now that he's become a gestapo i don't need to support him anymore which is still kind of like a weird thing that's in this story but it's there uh and she gets a new motivation and she suddenly is like i want to live for my family but i'm also going to kind of protect my family at this point it's it's a nice little character moment for that i i really admire how it goes along the story
0: yes i think that the internet connection is going to be stable now
1: is it there we go if not i'm just going to record a couple bits of you and just hit a button over and over again gosh chris you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Nick's been saying that a lot this episode, almost exclusively. Yeah, well, I am very oh. cool. I am very, very awesome. All right, let's talk about Eden. Yeah, let's talk about Eden Zero Chapter 160 Scatterers. Right, let's s- talk about Eden Zero's very, very hilarious chapter. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 160, Scattering in the Starry Owen Sea. So uh we open with Creed. No! Seiji Hojo who says yes I am Seiji Hojo and I come from the planet Oedo just like you and Amelia Moore bows her head saying oh it is my ignorance I didn't know I must I must bow my head before you and show my butt to the camera and he's like nah it's cool we're not on that planet anymore you don't actually need to do that and uh she's like no I, I I couldn't though he's like, look, I, I appreciate the sentiment, just like, how about we become friends instead? And she's like, oh, wow, that's so crazy. And he's like, yeah, well, Odo Edo was so full of customs. That's That's why I left. It was to reform our old customs and class system and broaden our culture. Yes, that is what I am going to do. And Hamora's like, that is a wonderful idea. And she smiles. And immediately Creed is like, oh, she's so beautiful. I've never seen her smile. And, uh, God, I don't remember the name of the kid from fucking Game of Thrones. Ollie, the little shit from Game of Thrones who was part of the Night's Watch who shot, who shot the wildling girl in the heart, basically shows up. It's a character called Jesse. I don't know if we've ever met Jesse before. We probably did, and I don't remember him because there's a billion characters in the series, right. and most of them are unimportant. Speaking of which, uh, we're going to cut over to the space battle now, where things are going kind of okay, but not great. Uh, because a giant worm laser thing shows up, and uh, it's going to destroy <laughs> everybody. Is a Yu-Gi-Oh
0: card if I've ever seen it.
1: Uh, 100% it's probably got a number like it's probably number 48 giant worm cannon laser galaxy eyes or something <laughs> it's got to put eyes in there somewhere uh yeah so despite
0: Owa- being referred to as the sea serpent it would be a dragon yeah. because fuck sea serpents is essentially how Yu Gi Oh always goes
1: yeah so uh oasis like this is bad they're gonna destroy a whole bunch of us and the cannon goes off and fires a big beam across, and they're like, oh, we have to dodge it, and uh, Lazare doesn't dodge it. He's dead. No, Lazare, and then uh, the laser's still going, and the character starting to dodge, and that remember that romance before between Dylan and Farina? They flirted like eight chapters ago. It's an important, uh, Dylan, Farina, Dylan, I'm sorry. No, Farina doesn't make it. She's dead too. Ah. These losses just keep building up, and it's up, it's up to the inter, the Oration Six Interstellar or whatever their name is. They're like, we have to stop that sea serpent. We cut back over, and Jesse's holding the gun. He's like, you get away, get that woman has to get away from you. She's a bad person. She's she's up with Elsie and Creed's like, huh, good grief, eat their luck. <laughs> 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 it's just like it shoots him in the heart with this big stupid expression and he dies it was us it was just a little bit comedic timing away from being the egg bot all over again where it's like amora i'm an important character kaboom oh, no my life
0: yeah can you imagine if instead of this, you know, it were just like the conversation where, like, you know, Homura smiles at him, and then he's like, "Oh, Homura's smile is so beautiful." <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, I wish it was. So, uh, yeah, that happens. Uh, we cut back over. Everyone's real sad about the, the space battle. People who are dead, Lazara and, and Farina. It's it's real. It's real bad. And then we cut over to Shiki who's fighting Shura. And he says, and I'm going to read this verbatim, because I believe 90% of this is probably just, like, a weird way of translating it. But Shiki says, those were all, they were, there were all those lights out in space. Every time one of them went out, a life went out. And then he punches Shura, who does not look very dignified in this punch, so immediately, (gasps) yeah, immediately some of the (laughs) scariness of him take down. And Shiki says, those lights won't go away. Not as long as you're around. Which, I understand what he's trying to say, but it definitely sounds like Shiki is saying, I'm gonna have to kill you if I want to kill all those people in space.
0: (laughs) Every time I clap my hands, a child dies. (laughs) Then stop fucking clapping your hands! (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I do understand what she is going for. And I do appreciate the intensity of this moment where you're just like, you're responsible for all those people dying. You need to go away for the people to stop dying, which indicates that he might actually resort to killing him in this moment. I don't know if I necessarily believe that, but we do have a chapter full of, oh my gosh, deaths going on. And then it being tied to Shura, even though one of the deaths has nothing to do with him, but
1: (laughs) What, well, Shore was very responsible for Creed getting shot in the heart for fucking just lackadaisically being like, oh, "I'll activate my ether gear now," and then just yeah, but I have but
0: this is
1: this, this gun isn't my ether power. <laughs> I also it was just a regular ass gun. It wasn't like a laser bullet like shot through him. Like this dude just had fucking lead loaded up to fucking merc this dude.
0: I have to say, when I read this chapter, I actually laughed. Yeah when Shura got shot in the fucking There's this look, we had the not Shura, Seiji, sorry. Why why do I need to know his name? He's dead. Uh, (laughs) But he has this thing where he introduces himself to Homura and I was going because Homura who has had wanted to have nothing to do with this guy, is suddenly like, oh, you're a member of royalty. I need to show respect to you. Oh, you're a member of royalty who thinks that the system is unjust? Oh, that's so wonderful. And I'm like, no, no. Fuck this guy. I hope he dies. And then he gets shot
1: 10 pieces. (laughs) It's so hard not to laugh in that moment. Because here's the thing. Ultimately... I don't actually find this to be a bad chapter. The space battle is very confusing, but that's how space battles generally are in most manga. And I think this, you know, hero is just not super great at like spatial art in that way. Like it's very difficult to tell what's happening, and then you're like, oh no, the dramatic fucking moment of Farina and Dylan's romantic relationship being torn apart. Who gives a shit? But otherwise, I'm like, you know, it's fine. It's not super bad. But it's so hard not to laugh in the moment of fucking introducing all of these details about this character and then he gets shot in the fucking heart. And I don't know what the long-term implications are. He might not be dead. Maybe he's just dying. No one's checked his magic pulse, I guess. But Fuck,
0: Rebecca will go into a different timeline to save everyone or
1: something something, something yeah. like that but fuck man it is really fucking funny that he gets introduced to all this detail and gets shot in the heart I'm going to put
0: this up on near the top of my list I hope that Pino gets to be human one day and I hope that Seiji stays dead <laughs> fuck that, dude. and is like oh yes but I'm royalty but I don't think the royalty is good will you go out with me now I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. Just like the way that she immediately starts like cow to him. Just, this is so wrong. He didn't do anything to make her act differently towards it. Fuck him.
1: Yeah. That's it.
0: Stay in the ground.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move Ugh. along. To okay. a series that's definitely sticking around. That's not the bottom.
0: <laughs> bottom two. Hunter's Guild Red
1: Hood, number 11, Mariopios I think it was the uh, bottom one this week. Or the upcoming magazine one. I think it's the bottom. <laughs> it's right there. It's this, Grim... it's this of the foot thing. Right. Grim
0: throws a few more of the test applicants into um, fake jail. Gets replacement cuffs. Uh, then we cut down to... <laughs> I just remember what this chapter was about. <laughs> we cut down to another part of the of the facility where muscle bald pirate Hitler uh-huh, uh-huh. has um the priestess Miguel person uh in a hold of sorts. He's got her in like a chokehold, I think, but he's holding his arms are so big that they don't actually fit into any part of her body so he's just kind of like holding her by the general of yeah. body um the guy who uses the mystical potion lufeng jang thing starts to use it and Mary pios is like no 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 no! don't do that don't use the only thing that makes you useful please uh and he starts talking to Ipatch, muscle bald hitler guy and says, "You know, you just took a, ha- a hostage after ambushing us, and you started talking after doing so. So I presume you're actually trying to negotiate or extort something from us, rather than just trying to kill us or take or beat us up. Uh, and if- so, if you if you release her, then you know we can start talking. If you don't, then we're just going to attack you. So, eye patch, pirate, Hitler muscle, bald guy." Introduces himself as Moscow Cobbs um, and says that he plans to be their ally. No, your savior. And so he says, you need manpower to pass the test, right? Like, you know, you want everyone to work together and pass together. And I can respect that goal, but I have a longer view in mind. See, I've taken this test for a very specific reason, which is I'm going to take over the guild and turn it into my company. Uh, See, it's already nearly a monopoly because of the monster hunting business. And uh, if I take control of it, then I can grow it even further beyond that. And we could even use the company's resources to, like, say, uh, take control of the Wifonium supply and weaponize it. And boom! The war would change. The power balance of the world would shift. And the guild would control everything. And Mario's looking at this guy like... Okay, yeah, I think that people like you are exactly the reason why that secret is kept, but okay, cool. <laughs> Moscow then introduces all of his subordinates, aka fighters that I just hired. And uh, then he throws down some bundles of cash and says, I got money, work for me, submit yourselves to me for pay. And uh, one of the people behind him has got some bruises and says, I wouldn't recommend saying no. And so Mary is like, ah, gotcha. So if we refuse, you beat us up. And Moscow says, I like useful things, practical things. And you look competent. I want you. I desire you. Check out my tricorder cap. And this is my brother who does really good math. Except that I'm kind <laughs> of an asshole and I beat people up and I have a Hitler mustache.
1: But so. canonically by. Well, not him, but the character you're referencing prior to that okay anyway
0: he desires he (laughs) desires
1: (laughs) he could be by he seems to be very open-minded definitely not going to deny
0: he he desires everyone yeah
1: (laughs) um and he
0: says and if i'm gonna get what i want the most useful and practical tools are money and violence listen i was supposed to be an important supporting character eventually but i gotta say what my entire character is now yeah. because i might not get the chance to do this later <laughs> so mario's like yeah i don't think i want to work for you and so immediately Mosco comes storming towards him and um he uses throughout the course of this chapter five different abilities i think so yeah um
1: yeah, he also he... does
0: a thing a, a couple of times where he interacts directly with the speech bubbles yeah. which is a effect. But, uh, so he tries to attack them, uh, both Miguel and, um, Nuro, I forget his name. They try and take him on, but he just kind of like dodges around their stuff. He chops them both down and then just kind of like is left holding each of them in one hand because he completely powered, overpowered them. And he's like, all right, it's just down to you, four eyes. And so Mario goes into his jacket. Moscow thinks that he's got a gun, but when he goes after him to stop him, um, instead, Mario's got a squirt can of some sort. It starts blowing mist everywhere. And Mario says, yeah, I would. And immediately Mosco's mustache appears to grow really, really big, which of course causes a big distraction. Then he stumbles into, um, some more things, one which like causes his foot to slip out from under him and one which causes his, um, foot to stick to the ground. And Mario sprays and sprays and sprays him with various different things until he's left as like almost a cocoon, but with a gap for his head in the wall. And Moscow immediately realizes that he's that the jig is up. So he's like, I'm really sorry that I tried to do all that to you. Can we can we can we can we talk now? Yeah. So Mario introduces that his thing is that he is a mycologist and that he has a bunch of slimes which do his bidding. Uh, because they're his friends, because, you know, the guy who's got all these phobias, he's got basically microorganisms and molds and stuff that work yes. for him. Hey, it's a contradiction. So, uh, so people are kind of a little bit grossed out by this. And he's like, yeah, I mean, people are dude, tend to get like weirded out by my research all the time. So I thought that I would join the guild and conduct an experiment. I wanted to know whether or not my research could be a useful tool for hunting monsters. Mosca's because like, that's it. That's why he became a hunter. And Mario says, well, I want to be a hunter for my own ambition. I'm much like you in that way. All that's different is our methods. Uh, and I think that you would be useful to our plan. So let me t- tell you what uh, we can do. And, uh, he's, you know, explains like, hey, this is what we've got going for us with the handcuffs and stuff. Uh, don't be to my allies, obviously. Uh, and then he, of course, looks at all of Moscow's people that, you know, he beat into submission. Is like, hey, do you guys want to join us? You know, it's like equals instead of 40 under this guy. Um, and he promises, I will not pay you, nor do I expect payment. But by joining us, we create a give and take relationship that will be profitable for all involved. So, listen, if this guy can form a symbiotic relationship with molds and funguses and slimes, then I guess it makes sense that he is willing to work with anyone. So... And yeah, it seems as though he's recruited Moscow to his cause. And uh, then we cut to the roof before we actually hear Moscow's answer. But he's probably going to work with them. Uh, there's 45 minutes left in the test. And uh, Velo and friends are still tied up. Mario comes out and is like, tag, 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 tag. He gets everyone out of jail who's in jail. Well, he tags six people. He says, tag, 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 tag. So if there are more than six people in there, then he only attacked six people. But I think he got them all. Yeah. And uh, so he says that, yeah, they just wanted to piggyback off, of your panda, piggyback off of your plan, though, Velo. But Velo says, it's not my plan. It's our plan. And boy, have your slimes been impressive. Getting the handcuffs and sending messages. They're super useful. And Mario's like, oh, thanks. <laughs>
1: it's <just kind> of... <laughs> Gee, thanks, buddy.
0: And uh, then we just kind of get like a reestablishment of like the conditions that they're under, which is that they have a total of 15 people working for them. And there is roughly an hour to go. And so they're going to try and do this plan thing. So there you go.
1: There you go. I like people with mushroom powers. They're cool. I like it. I dig it. Um... I like that his backstory had no emotion to it. He's just like, I like fucking slimes and mushrooms. I want to see if they could be useful for hunting werewolves. Cause that's what this world's about. Story's done. End. Finn. <laughs> There's still no, like fucking dead sister or something like that. There's nothing. Just like I fucking want to see if I can kill werewolves with mushrooms.
0: <laughs> I do definitely like Mary a lot more after this chapter. Uh-huh. I think that seeing this reliable part of him and also just his very matter of fact attitude of doing weird things is like, yeah, I get into that. So, yeah. Good stuff. Let's talk about Agachan, Chapter 59, Best Friend, Part 1. To, to forget part 1. Fast, so Magu does multi part series, but usually only if something really important happens, like, you know. Muskar is going to enact a plan to put everyone to sleep and take over and get Mago on his side, which ended him being depowered. Remember that really big cataclysmic event a couple of months ago? Uh-huh. It would only be something on that scale. Anyway, this is about Kyo going to a different high school from everybody else. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right on the same scale.
0: Uh, we get a flashback uh, to begin with, though, from when Kyo first met Yuika. And Yuika was looking really dirty and kind of beat up and also didn't have her hair tied back like she normally does. Uh, And Yukio is just saying, why are you wasting your time on me? And Kyo says, because I want you to come to school with me. Hmm. Uh, We uh, see Kyo then getting ready for her day. She's clearly uh, in thought about some stuff. She sees that uh, her mom has left some money for her to take care of herself, which makes Kyo seem kind of sad that she didn't get to see her mom. Uh, And uh, then she goes to school we find out that everyone is trying, is having to fill out career goals surveys as in what they want to know what you're going to do after middle school. And everyone generally is just like, yeah, we're going to go to the same local high school that everyone can go to. We live out in the boonies. There's not a lot of high schools here, The one high school here has a very, very easy, you know, means of getting in, uh, and rend establishes. Yeah. My big sister went there. So pretty much everyone in this area goes to that high school. Uh, and, uh, then izuma is like wait a minute there are entrance exams i'm gonna have to study oh no uh, so there's all that that they go uh, go on about uh ruru walks out with yuika and uh is like oh man you know but school is expensive so i I'm actually considering just getting a job, but since it didn't mean that we would all be together, I decided that I should go to high school too, because Ruru loves her friends and she's a good person. Uh, and Yuika's like, yeah, and I wasn't interested in going to high school either. I've always hated school and studying's boring and it's a pain, but lately it's been fun coming to school because Kyo's here and also you, Ruru, and Unisuke. Uh, so I'll figure out something and I've got Kyo to help me out with studies. So, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, but then she says that Kyo hasn't been coming to their occult club meetings lately, so hey, let's go surprise her. And they establish that um, the teachers have been warned about, uh, about have been warning her about carrying uh, Uniske around on her head, Sonzege. But she just says, yeah, um, they think that he's just like a trendy hair tie, though. Um, and then she thinks back on a hair tie that Kyo gave her. The first hair tie she started wearing. It's a symbol of their bond. Uh, and also the thing that binds her hair.
1: So, um, Oh, so that's what symbolism is.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been getting it wrong for years. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they go over this. And then they happen to pass by the teacher's office. Where Kyo is talking with some, with one of the teachers. Who says... Oh, you've been offered early acceptance to uh to this other school yeah Masumi high you got a great shot of getting in and you know it would be a great you know honor because you know you'd be the first student in our entire school's history that would be able to go to a really good high school like that and and Duica happens to pass by right where they're saying this, where Kuro seems to be agreeing that she's going to go to this other high school. I do love that yeah. this dude
1: has like a private meeting with this girl with the door wide fucking open to two students step in front of it and just stare into the room. And he's just like, yeah, anyway, good luck going to this school. Catch a, nothing, nothing weird or private about this conversation. <laughs> So tell me about your concerns for your private life going forward. Are there any students you might be leaving behind and you go to this other high school that you're concerned about? Air out your grievances now. Let me make sure I've got your social security number right. <laughs> it's three... seven... Why are you here? Could Maybe, you not get any part of it wrong. While you're here, could you step on this scale that has a giant screen TV Will to display your weight over here? Let me make sure that I
0: have all of your deepest, darkest th- fears down. <laughs> uh, Yuika storms off in a huff. Kyo goes after her and apologizes for not telling her about this earlier. But uh, before... Kyo can really get into the explanation. She's like, yeah, I mean, I was also planning on going to the same high school as you, but I got this recommendation and I didn't know what to do. And you could just like, hey, good for you. That that school is full of eggheads. I'm really impressed. You're a genius when it comes to studying. And uh, I know you're not going to have any time to hang out anymore. And Kyo says, no, no, I want to still keep helping you with your studies. And you goes like, no, no, I hate studying. So see ya. Good luck. And, uh, she walks off. Kyo is left upset. Kyo walks home together with Ruru and says, yeah, I'm sorry. I've been showing up lately, but I wasn't brave enough to tell anyone about this. I didn't know how to face anyone about this. Presumably since she's telling Ruru, she meant to tell, she meant, I didn't know how to bring this up to anyone except Ruru because Mm Ruru is a good friend and it is the easiest (laughs) person to tell these things about. Uh, and so, but, uh, Kyo says, Yeah, it'll be okay now. Though that I now that I know that Yuika, you know, didn't react as badly as I thought she would. So I've made up my mind. Uh, And uh, then we cut over to Yuika, who drops Uniske in his fishbowl, and he just says, she just says, "Hey, I'm gonna be walking home alone today." So she drops him off, and then removes the hair tie from her hair. (sighs) She removes the bond that ties her and Kyo together, and also her hair. And uh, Kyo is still upset at home. Gula is asking her what her problem is. And, but Kyo's like, I just don't even know what to do. And several days pass, and the doorbell rings, and we get the best moment of the chapter, which is Magu leaping towards the door to say, I shall receive them! Because he is a child, and he gets really excited over very small things like answering the door. When he answers the door, it t- turns out the Gula and Uniske were working together to ring the doorbell. Gula grew his claw really big, and Uniske grew a needle out so that they could poke the doorbell. Yay! Uh, and Gula and Zonzege beg for help solving Kyo and Yuika's problems. And uh, Magu rece- thinks, of course, that this is his problem to solve. Uh, and he... He admits, however, I know little of the ways of the lowly human heart, but both the problem child and scholar are my followers. I cannot simply fail to inspire them. Very well, reckless beings. I shall save them from the depths of anguish. And um, Ruru's like, got her fist up. like She's like, yeah, you go do it, Magu. So... I don't know if she legitimately believes that Magu is going to be fully capable of solving this problem or not, but that's the face that she seems to be making right now.
1: I think he could just laser beam all of his problems away. That's what he usually I does. Agree. They just, la- just laser beam the other high school, and she can't go to it, and everything's solved solved. That is a good point. That's God, actually- fuck. That needs to
0: be a solution to this. <laughs> There, can't, there There is no problem that cannot be solved by Magu blowing things up, right? Really, it
1: yeah, it has to be the way this happens.
0: Uh, I don't really care very much for Kyo. I did care a little bit for Yuika in this because it did show a side of her that we haven't seen before that is more vulnerable. Oh. I do like that, although it is a very blunt metaphor, the hair tie is an effective thing. Uh, um, and I liked Magu leaping towards the door to answer it really excitedly. And the fact that Gula and Zonzege worked together to ring the doorbell. So there we go.
1: Yeah. I All think. right. <sighs> let's. I need to catch my breath. Let's talk about PPPPPPPPPPPPPPPPP. A I, new series that everyone's super excited about. I believe that it is read as
0: that's how it's read so yeah. um it's about playing the piano and there were these septuplets that were born they all love playing the piano but our main character whose name is lucky
1: for some fucking reason uh, oh their mom had they had seven kids she thought she had six kids and a dog that's why she named him lucky <laughs>
0: Um, and so we are introduced to our main character, Lucky. Ugh. In chapter one, mediocre Lucky. Uh, all of his siblings were really talented at playing the piano. He was not. He was mediocre. I am immediately endeared <laughs> to Lucky because his first lines are, "Sigh,
1: I got a poo." Great I, character. This is what like a fifty-page chapter. And I really felt like you summed up about 80% of it. It's just those first couple said he has a bunch of siblings who are really good at playing the piano, but he's not. And then he may have the chance to be good. And you've
0: summed up the whole chapter. Pretty much it. That's the entire chapter. A very inconsistent art. Um, there are occasionally actually good emotional moments, like where we see that, no, Lucky didn't just have to deal with, you know you know, feeling inferior to his siblings. No, he was abused physically by his father. So there's that. It actually caused a split between his mom and dad, and all six of his siblings went off with their father because he was only interested in talent. His mom was the only one who went off with him because she's the only one who seemingly likes the kids as their children, I would assume.
1: (laughs) Well, he also then gets sick and had to get taken care of by the parents from the Harry Potter uh, series. Basically, these are
0: cartoonish there are very many cartoonish designs in this chapter, I should say. But that aunt is just bizarre looking. Yeah. Um, the mother got, has gotten sick. And I thought for a second they were going to say that she had died. But no, actually, she is still alive. She's just still bedridden. And in fact, she plays a key role in giving Lucky the um, hope to be good piano player Yeah. again. Uh, We see that Lucky still has not given up on playing the piano, despite the fact that his dad beat him when he was not playing it good. And despite the fact that uh, his current foster parents also abuse him repeatedly because he was no good at playing the piano because they liked his dad and blame him for causing the divorce because they'd be part of a rich family if not for him. Yay. Physical and emotional abuse is fun. He keeps a keyboard at his mom's place that he plays for her occasionally, even when she's asleep, because he can't give up the piano even though he's only mediocre at it.
1: I love the idea. He's like, Mom, I don't know if you're even awake right now, but I thought I'd play you something on the piano to soothe you. <laughs> dun, 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 dun.
0: <laughs> I, just,
1: I just want it to be the loudest, most obnoxious piano songs ever. Just to be like, Mom, I hope you're resting in there. To soothe you, lullaby you to sleep. It's Crocodile Rock. <laughs>
0: or he just like hits the demo button and walks away oh gosh um there is a girl at his school who seems to be familiar with pianists including his family who are all famous now so Nick, if she's
1: familiar with penis that is her fucking life all right we don't need Look, to it's, judge
0: it's not my fault that the word pianist sounds like a sexual organ to everyone's nose,
1: <laughs> okay it's like when uh uh the movie about Charlie Brown came out. It's like what movie are you guys see? The peanuts movie? Like the penis movie? <laughs> that can't be appropriate for children.
0: <laughs> no, it, like you know peanuts. Oh, there's nuts in it too.
1: Oh. <laughs> I get it. You like penises. Go, go, go calm down.
0: Peanuts aren't peanuts aren't nuts. They're legumes. So,
1: <gasps> uh All right, you waga. <laughs> he said that once.
0: <laughs> so, uh while Lucky is going through school one day, he hears some music while he's passing by the stairs, and when he looks up, oh my gosh, he sees, like, this concert hall and a bunch of uh, cultists, it looks like. So he's like, wait a minute, that's one of the... That's my oldest sibling's performance, isn't it? And then it cuts off because the girl who's familiar with his family has listened to it, and she's like, oh, sorry, I had my music on speaker. And uh, she, then she looks at him and she... And she's like, You saw palatial steps instead of normal steps, didn't you? And like he's like, Yeah. And she says, Those palatial steps don't exist anywhere in the world. It's a fantasy. So I wonder why you can visualize something you've never seen through music. Anyway, she's the best, she's one of the best characters in this whole thing, because it's like, I I actually am kind of like, like, what is her deal? And I actually want to know more, as opposed to Lucky, where it's just like, he's not good at playing the piano, but he's gonna try. So um he gets scolded by his family he goes to see his mom who's awake this time and she's like don't give up on the piano oh i'm sorry that i wasn't born as a genius well no i'm sorry that i wasn't able to give birth to you as a genius because when you say you're sorry that you're mediocre that's like my failing. and like it's like no it's not cry Mm, what i do uh and it meanwhile the nurses are talking and it turns out that his mom is on a different medication because she only has a little bit of time left, and she needed to talk to her son, and those things put her to sleep, so he changed the drugs, and then she says to Lucky, you should become a pianist. Show me that you can become a pianist even though you're mediocre. I want to see it because I love the way you play the piano. And don't give up. Don't apologize. Don't say those things, and don't worry about money. Your father thinks only the talented should play the piano, so prove him wrong. Here's a music high school program. Get into this music school. So Lucky's like, why didn't I listen to my mom until now? Because she was asleep because of the drugs. So presumably. Huh. So, um, and a montage ensues where he keeps trying to practice on the piano, even though his foster family says, stop that. And his teacher tells him, you suck. But then he goes to a music school and he applies. And he's like, I can play the piano now, even if I'm not very good. There's a weird guy with weird eyes and a weird hat who's watching him. And he's the only judge that matters. And he likes his performance of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. For some reason, he's not really sure why. But something like appears in his mind, a drink that he can't seem to drink. And then when he awakens from it, he, we learn that his name is Mr. Dada. Dada. Mr. Dada. Lucky and Dada, Ugh, weird names in this series. So uh, some people are like, oh man, all the students are mediocre. And Mr. Dada is like, there's nothing wrong with being mediocre because mediocrity forces people to fight using their life experiences. It's pretty fun. You hear their lives and their music and it's authentic. And depending on their experiences and how they were raised, mediocrity can surpass talent. Everyone zoned him out, I think. Four sentences before the end, there, I, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, they're like, well, there's unfortunately three of us and only one of you, so he's he's gone. <laughs> like, oh. <He's> out. <laughs> <laughs> hey. unfortunately, unfortunately, this is American Idol and we can't make him into a, a fucking a joke, so he's gone.
0: <laughs> Lucky is happy that he got accepted, and then he wants to celebrate with his mom who face palms him for some reason. She just like pie faces him. I don't know why. I don't like your affection. Get away from me. You know what? Maybe I should have left you with your dad, too. So uh, um, stuff happens. And then Lucky is like, thanks, mom. I'm going to go become a pianist. Just you wait. And she's like, I'm going to die soon. Yes. That's the end of the chapter. Um, I do want to like this series because it is something different and it hits upon some things in a way that you don't normally see from from jump. Not, oh, I'm weak, but oh, I'm just normal. And I want to pursue my dreams even though I'm just normal. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I think a message that deserves to be in stories more. Mm -hmm. That said, there are a lot of issues with this, but the primary among them is I just don't care about this kid because it's not that just that he is mediocre. It's that there is nothing exceptional about him. And there is a difference there because yes, he's mediocre in talent, but also I literally like no matter what the next chapter is, I could say, I don't care. You could tell me that he achieves all of his dreams and he has, 20 guys and 20 girls sucking his dick every day because all of his dreams came true, and his mom has her uber cancer cured, and they live happily forever after. Or you could tell me that he falls into a sewer drain and dies. And either way, I would not care.
1: I think what I most appreciate about this series is that it's named after the same sound you make while you read it. that's the one joke I thought of for this series. And I was terrified all week that somebody was going to steal it. And then Nick basically stole it right before the episode. So I'm a little bit bitter now, but it's all right. I legitimately was like, maybe I should make a TikTok account just to make this one video (laughs) so that no one gets this joke before me. Because that's all I have to say.
0: It's okay, Chris.
1: Just because I happened to accidentally
0: steal your joke, you too can become a pianist. (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: Really, I I do kind of see... Almost sort of the series reflecting on itself where it's like, oh, it's not particularly good, but there's something to it. And that's kind of how I feel about this, where I'm like, it's not bad. And there's something intriguing to it, but I just can't tell if I have enough of an interest. I mean, it's always going to have that uphill battle of being a series about a audio medium being told through a strictly visual medium like there is like i know that at some point they put a couple of tracks you could listen to in that moment to understand what they're referencing but it's always going to be one of those things like food food wars had that too where you can't taste it but like they made the food look so good that it was like oh man i'm really hungry i don't know if i could see him thinking about drinking a cup or you're drinking from a cup and being like, ooh, that's how, that's, I've always been thinking about songs that make me like to drink coffee. Like, I don't know, maybe he's playing fucking uh, Godot's theme from fucking Ace Attorney right there, and that's why he's thinking of a cup of coffee, like, ah, or something like that. But like, I don't know, it just doesn't, it's hard to like capture that essence the same way. There's a series that ran in about 11
0: or 12 years ago called Soul Catchers that did that kind of thing way better. <laughs> so uh, yeah it's yeah i like i said i wanted to like it more and yeah i do i do see your point about like it reflecting on itself i just wish that it were actually better though because i don't care So yeah let's talk about oh, dr stone z equals 211 world tour for resources hey they've decided that they're going to go back to japan Time to get stoned. Build a rocket. But first, before they go to Japan, they stop in Indonesia because there's lots of rubber there. And hey, now that we've gotten rubber from there, yep, that's what we did. We just went there and got rubber. Bye. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't think of any Indonesia stereotypes that I could jam into this sequence. Um. They're going to go to Japan and actually build the rocket. Uh, And uh, then as they're going back, they're like, yeah, and we can also revive everyone who's there. Good. Uh, They bring up the point of we should bring home a souvenir or two from our world tour. Okay. But the thing that Seki wants to do specifically is food. Because if you bring some awesome new food to people, then that'll get them all pumped up and then they'll be excited to work for you. And the one thing that they need is some sort of comfort food. And for Japanese people, that's rice. I guess. So. They're going to make rice.
1: And uh, they make rice. They did it. (laughs) (laughs) Made rice. (laughs) i honestly thought they had already had rice i really like legit i was like yeah they, they got rice they made rice well they made like soda and shit of course they've got rice
0: um it's a process that takes them a while while they're also doing some other things so we also get that in conjunction with the montage of Sai teaching math to suika and chrome including 3d geometry so yeah
1: uh-huh.
0: they're they're learning at a pretty rapid pace at this point uh that we see some of the machinery that they make to make the rice and then they make it into, of course, Onigiri. And when people eat it, it gets them all nostalgic. Senku thinks about his dad. Ukyo starts crying up because of course he is the emotional
1: core of this group. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone (laughs) wondered what Ukyo is feeling.
0: (laughs) Uh, and Yurusu is like, Oh, this is great. Let's go back to Japan. (laughs) 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 Um, there are still two days away, however, from getting back to Japan. I don't know if that figure is actually important
1: or not, but uh, there we go. Um, this chapter was fine. This chapter was 100% physically in the magazine and digitally available for us to read. All right, let's talk about Mashal. <laughs> Magic of Muscles. I think you might have knocked out your uh, audio cord. No. Oh, it's back. It's there we go. No such thing has occurred. <laughs> there we go. All right. Uh Let's talk about Mashable Magic and Muscles, Chapter 78, Mash Burn Dead, and the Tri-Magic Athlon Divine Visionary Final Exam. So, we're introduced, we go over to St. R's, where we're introduced to the uh, the three main dudes from fucking that school, and it's Lavar, Elysia, and... Marval Athane. It doesn't really matter because they get fucking murdered immediately by, uh, what, Domin- Dominia? Dominia? I don't remember. I think it's Dominia. Look, Mashal's names are too crazy for me to remember, okay? Yeah, they are. So, Dominia fucking smokes the two of them. Uh, they just kind of explode with blood. And, uh, yeah, Dominia we, is introduced to the last member who I don't. Kn- oh, they just, uh, they just call this character King Russ. Uh, King Griss. Gris. Uh,
0: Although it, I think it is funnier if we call him King Russ. So.
1: Yeah. Well, he's very cool because he immediately introduces himself by using his Guardian Second Trio Fort and summons like a bunch of fucking Guardian statues with fucking giant hammers. And uh, one of his friends who's fucking dying, I don't know who, uh, is just like, oh, he's opening with the Secondeth. He wants to do this in an instant. And a bunch of mallets come down, but they can't hit domina and domina's just like what do you think brings human joy and starts walking towards king russ and then disappears he's like he's gone and then he's stabbed through the stomach or his stomach explodes chest explodes whatever it blows up and domina says i think we've tried find true happiness and acceptance uh and he has a very stylish uh line Where his lines are actually little arrows that like spin together on his face. So good for him. Yes. He says, if we're not given approval, society deems us unnecessary, worthless. I'm speaking about you three. Because you suck. And it looks like there's no place for you in this world. He doesn't say you suck, but that's basically what he's saying. So You suck. You suck. You suck. It's Kurt Angle references people who aren't. No, you should. He's the best. Great wrestler um
0: hey look there's dramatic entrances that feature a brass section immediately
1: after this so maybe that's what they're doing uh, uh, fuck yeah. boom, boom, boom. that's legitimately one of those like so this is a wrestling tangent and i'm sorry for yeah, everybody most wrestling now like theme songs are just songs like it's like <laughs> here's a real song kurt angle is one of those themes that was just Noise basically, and it is one of my probably my top three favorite theme songs of all time. Like I fucking metal is a goddamn banger, especially the remix they add that adds like a couple guitars to it and shit like that. Fuck yeah. Great goddamn theme all the way through. Really, really motivates you. I feel like Nick doesn't yes. agree with me. And uh that's fine. We're letting which have remix
0: it. are you talking about? Uh it
1: was in WWE. Okay, are you talking about the ECW one that he had? or It might have been. I feel like he may have had it a bit on the main roster, but my, my timeline's kind of jumbled up. <laughs> I'm sorry. The fact that you refer
0: to ECW as not the main roster. <laughs> it, <laughs> wasn't. Basically, basically it wasn't. It wasn't. It sums up the entire problem with that whole endeavor. Wasn't Vince
1: McMahon champion of it for
0: like a week and a half? It was longer than that. <laughs> uh, he successfully defended it. On pay-per-view. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyway, it's the day of the final exam. There's a bunch of pomp and circumstance. Uh no, no, a big, no that's Randy Savage, not Kurt Angle. <laughs> also great wrestler. Uh but some announcer person is like, God provided us with two gifts: the wicked power of knowledge and the sacred power of magic. We shall use these to decide the greatest magic users and the closest to God's divine. Let the tri magic Athlon begin! And we are introduced just like this is the one cool thing that I get to do yeah. <laughs> and we are introduced to the three members from Easton who is mash Lance and dot, which uh, fulfills what I was talking about earlier, although also brings into question why well I guess it was just dot Lance, Mash and Margaret that made it into the finals. I'm trying to think if like another person snuck through. But I think Margaret killed the other members of her team, so I don't remember. Um anyway, we also see Domina and the other two members of Walcus. Uh there's dude with an eye patch and a dude who uh, does not seem to give a fuck. And then they're announcing Saint Rs, but oh, they get a letter. Everyone from Saintars has withdrawn. Dun dun dun. They're not gonna be there. I love that they they open the door for nobody <laughs> <laughs> like everyone was like oh <gasps> like you had to have, you had to have heard about this you weren't like that's weird uh domina then says they've chickened out and drops the crushed up wands of their members and declares eastern academy you're next and then proceeds to get gassed in about 15 seconds. Does does one suplex and is really tired, so they have to, they have to uh, go I to was, the finish. Oh, was a jackhammer, right? <laughs> Two jackhammers and then we go home, right?
0: All right. Uh, we got a third one in there. Okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this. Let's get old boys. <laughs> Take it home. Uh, and then we cut over to the joke of the chapter, which is uh, Dot, Lance, and Mash are just having a tea party. And Mash says, ready? Ready for
0: what? He's just not paying attention. <laughs> this just... dude had this horribly brutal thing where he broke these wands, these symbols of your status as a magic user, and let them crumble to the ground and said, I'm going to do that to you. And Mash isn't paying attention. And neither is Lance.
1: <laughs> yeah, none of them seem to really give a shit. They're all just like, whatever.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this is an effective chapter. Um, I I mean, there's only so many times that you can build up, like, oh, this guy's going to be a really big challenge to MASH, and then MASH beats them. But I feel like as long as we keep on doing it in different ways, sure, fine. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Losing my voice. So, done to talk about uh, next uh, The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 32, Sashimi 1334. Uh, we see that Tokyuki and his company have returned from their mission and they're reporting to Yorishige. And uh, Yorishige recaps, like, Oh, so you want to give warriors with a death wish the will to live? Only you could achieve such a wonderful objective. Oh, and then nice. We see this visualized as. I don't know exactly what this is supposed to be. I think that there is some sort of a cultural reference that is at work here that I'm not sure of, but it looks as though Tokiyuki is basically playing that 90s computer game Lemmings with a bunch of warriors to try and keep them all alive. So,
1: pretty much yeah.
0: Um so we get, you know, like a narrative recap which is that unfortunately contrary to Tokiyuki's wishes, the desire to rush to death did not subside in Hoshina's men and unable to tolerate the oppression that they are experiencing. Many Hojo supporters around Japan raised armies against him, but these rebellions were uncoordinated and fell in defeat. So it's a great idea to have. Unfortunately, he's just one kid trying to get all of Japan not to run into death. Uh, what we see in this chapter does not have to do with this, however. Instead, Tokyugi's eating some food, he's eating locust because that is what they got to eat around here. Uh, in addition to rice and stuff. And he says, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm getting used to the taste of it. It kind of reminds me of the shrimp from, from Suruga Bay. And uh, Fubuki, you know, being the glutton that he is, is like, oh, you know, I bet there are all sorts of other mouth-watering delicacies that I've never seen out there. But Toki says, I mean, the food that was there was mostly stuff you could find anywhere else. But then I guess I did really like the sea breed that, that, that was in the area. Uh, and he explains that, you know, Kamakura where he came from is by the sea and so lunches were just from the catch of the day and sliced sea bream with izu wasabi and soy sauce he's just like oh it was so good and shizuku is you know looking at him and yoroshige is looking at him as he gets you know kind of sad as he gets this you know feeling of nostalgia for something that he can't have right now because he's essentially in exile and we get, you know, more narration explaining, like, the general status of, of his forces, which is that, you know, his allies are dying off and right now looking out from his second home in Sua in the second summer after the fall of Kamakura. So time is actually progressing consistently forward kind of quickly in this series of already, like, over a year has passed. Uh, but now he's just looking out from Sua at his first home and it's, you know, out of his reach. And he's like, I wish I could go back to Kamakura. But of course he can't. And all of the elusive warriors are watching this and they set off together on horseback. And, uh, we see them storm through a checkpoint really, really easily as they're confronted and told to give up their baggage. Then when they reach the sea, they split off from each other. Ayako, uh, and Kojiro, uh, going off in one direction she goes off with genba fubuki is left with with kojiro and meanwhile we come back to, to Tokyuki and he's like guys,
1: <laughs> wanna go play? guys knock knock hello friends no haven't left me behind have you come out to play it really does feel like that can kojiro come out like i don't even know if he has parents <laughs> who, who are you asking permission from
0: it's a great moment because he's doing this he's like oh everyone's gone he's like kicking rocks out and then yoroshige comes in it's like but yoroshige's here <laughs> like
1: oh
0: uh. the face that tokyuki makes in this is
1: yeah, Wonderful. it's a better face than any human could possibly make when your Shikei wraps up and just starts talking to you like, hey, you want to go on to hang out together with me, your creepy no. older friend? Like, no, not really. And
0: we see that Fubuki and uh, Kodro are at work by the sea, catching fish. And uh, this is actually a very difficult process because they actually have to kill it while it's still fresh. Letting it flop around uh, diminishes its freshness. So they've got to do this really cool thing where he flings it up out of the water into the air and Kodro slices the back of its head. And then it lands uh, really, really smoothly in the bucket of ice that they've got. Uh, Ayaka returns with Wasabi. And so they're like, all right, let's get out of here. We've got to go. And while they're riding away, Shizuku is preparing the fish uh, into sashimi and doing all the stuff that they've got to do. Uh, they have to make their way through some roughage. So Kodro uses his sword to clear it out. And we get this explanation that... Hey, this was a time when trains and automobiles did not exist. So there was this one very particular path that you could travel in order to actually get across the country in enough time for fish to be delivered before it went bad. Uh, because, you know, all refrigeration and stuff was not something you could do. Uh, in other words, transporting fresh fish in a summer of war was nearly impossible as we see the elusive warriors just smashing through different barricades and stuff that have been set up uh, in a cool little action panel where arrows are flying at them. Fabuki is deflecting one away from Shizuku. Ayako is just swinging a log, which has to be very difficult when you're riding on horseback. Yes, definitely. And eventually, of course they get back home, quote unquote, safely. They've got scratches and they're kind of bleeding everywhere. (laughs) Kodra has an arrow sticking out of him. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Ayako says it was fun. They're fine. <laughs> yeah. Who am I to argue? Uh, I do love Tokuyuki's follow-up line, which is like, did you go to war or do fish shoot arrows now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. If they're like, yeah, things changed. Fish figured it out, man. It's a dangerous world out there.
0: You've been gone for a really long time. <laughs> things are different in Kamakura. <laughs> but Shizuku comes up to him at that point and says... I've prepared the evening meal. So come this way. And Tokyo comes to a room and there's a batch of sashimi prepared all for him. And he immediately gets into it, you know, gets the wasabi and the sauce on it. And as he's eating it, he's just thinking about his home, all of his nostalgic memories. He's thinking about his little brother. It's really nice. And, uh, he, as he is well, walking away from his meal after this, he's like, I'm so grateful. I have no idea how I'm going to thank them for this. But then, as he walks in to a meeting between the elusive warriors and Yoroshige, he overhears them talking about stuff. And Yoroshige says, yeah, how long is the journey to Kamakura? And Shizuka says, one day for a small group at top speed. But Takaoji's man, Takeda, has constructed many forts, and passing through a large force would take 20 times longer, and it would cost many lives. And Yorishika says, you performed your reconnaissance well. So, there were two purposes to this trip. Hey, we didn't just risk our lives for one meal. No, there was an actual reason that they went and did this. Smart. Um, Tokioki is. Flabbergasted because he had no idea that they went all the way to freaking Kamakura in order to get this food. They could have just gone to presumably any coast in order to get fish. But, uh, Yorishige says we are formulating a plan to reclaim Kamakura time has come. And he asked for, you know, more information on this, on the way that Kamakura is from both Shizuku and Genba who say that it has been dramatically transformed by its new ruler And the elite companions he's assembled, as we see Takaoji flanked by several strange-looking warriors with very distinct designs. So they're probably going to be important in a bit.
1: Yeah, well, what I really appreciate is now we're able to get uh, the town back and set it up for the future when Don Kanoji can be there uh, and the other characters can throw Molotov cocktails at Aizen and really just... Interfere with his plans because that's that was the key to everything. Yes, it's the same town, right?
0: I mean, it's Ka- Kamakura instead of Karakura, but you oh.
1: Know, same town. <laughs> oh, well, that changes sure. a lot of things, I guess.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they'll just be, get t- maybe someone will just kind of slur the words a little bit. like you know, let's just call it Karakura. <laughs>
1: gotta go to Karakura Town. What did you call it? <laughs> don't don't ask. Maybe Don Kenoji can still be here because I just want him in more things. I want him to hang out and just talk.
0: It's are always with you.
1: So. Yeah. All right. You want to wrap this up, Nick? I kind of do. My All right. Tired, so. Let's talk about Boundary, page 306 from Black Clover. Yuno shoots an arrow and the chapter ends. Now, so... Uh, we, He's a hollow now. Yeah, he shoots an arrow. He basically does become a hollow in that moment. Uh, and, uh, Zeno is like, oh, what speed or Xenon, whatever his fucking name is. He's like, what speed? So incredible. He's so strong. You know, declares our tenacity wins this one. And then the page turns black flashback. Uh, it's uh, a little young Xenon who's just, uh, getting beat up and Vanica and Dante, who I didn't, I guess I forgot this detail that they're all actually siblings uh, are basically mocking him being like hey what a loser you got beat up you're pathetic but there's apparently someone else in the family uh, a an older brother who's like uh, who seems to be in a wheelchair saying oh but you're the one who's most like me xenon you have a far greater aptitude for being a devil host than either dante or vanica so uh xenon is getting beat up some more and then Someone interferes. It's Asta, but not Asta. It's someone different. I mean, and, he has
0: identical hair, eyebrows included. So. Yes,
1: he is for all intents and purposes Asta, but we'll, he's from the Spade Kingdom, so we'll call him Spasta. So <laughs> Spasta is like well, I'm Alan, but it's actually called me Spasta. Your magic looks way strong, and I don't
0: uh, know. If, I don't know if calling him Spasta is a good idea.
1: Okay. We'll call him Allen, which is a wrench. So we're going to call him Wrenchy McGee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that one better. So Wrenchy McGee's like, well, I'm going to be commander-in-chief of the Magic Defense Force. And then Xenon's like, I'm going to be Commander-in-Chief of the Defense Force. That means we're rivals. Let's see which one of us becomes Commander-in-Chief of the Magical Defense Force. We've both become Magical Defense Force members. <laughs> this is awesome. We're working <laughs> together to be defensive Magical Mage Force captains. Oh, no. A devil killed her. devil. Ah, a demon murdered us. Alan Wrench. Wrenchy McGee. No. I could probably kill that devil. But with
0: one of my many swords
1: <laughs> with my bee, yeah. I could kill that devil but my bone swords would kill Renshi McGee Renshi is like Aah! and uh, Zenon's like you know what fuck it he starts to he says this is my only chance if I fire now I can kill the devil along with Renshi McGee if I don't do it the damage will spread to the kingdom at the very least the people in the nearby town will die and without power Neither emotions nor tenacity mean a thing, and he starts crying, because he killed his friend by stabbing him full of bones and killing the (laughs) devil.
0: I can manipulate the shape of my bones into any form, but I had to go through him to kill the
1: devil. (laughs) Bones can't bend. That's a scientific fact. Name a bendy bone in your body. You can't. Boom. (laughs) Checkmate, atheists.
0: (laughs) That's right. I just proved that I had to kill my friend magically with science.
1: (laughs) Uh, It cuts over Xenon, saying, overwhelming power is everything. If even an ordinary devil had power like that, then he goes to Big Brother and he says, Big Brother, make me a devil host, too. And the end of the chapter is showing him meeting with Beelzebub. Yep. Bum,
0: bum, bum. I like a couple of things about this chapter. I like the art. Uh, In some instances, I actually think that his absurd crying face is pretty good. Uh Uh, And I like the bit where the devil first appears and is just going, Um, I don't have a problem specifically with the Oh, so he was, you know, and this guy was asked a part (laughs) of this. It's very transparent. It's like, okay, if you're making a reflection, fine. Don't care. It's a little bit on the nose from all the details (laughs) that are shared and how obvious it is. But whatever. Fine. Sometimes you need to make it incredibly obvious for the point to get across to some people. Whatever. I am just wondering at this point, and it's going to just depend on how this unfolds. Why we made out Dante and Vaniga to be total irredeemable douchebags, and why this guy gets the sympathetic backstory is it because this older brother is going to turn out to have been the true bad guy, final boss, yes. the whole time? Yes,
1: yes, okay. yes, yes.
0: <laughs> is it because we're going to turn Xenon good?
1: someone's got to lead the spade kingdom after all this is done. It's probably going to be him. Yeah. (laughs) It's just one of those things where it's like,
0: okay, sure. You know, three power hungry may patch with devil's assholes. These two were evil, but this one was actually good.
1: I mean, it's not as clear cut as like he was good. He th- like they even show he did make the call to kill his friend. It was a hundred percent in him to do that. He just had the opportunity, basically, almost a what if. Like, what if a situation had come about that kept Asta and you know from just being friends forever? There was a situation where a big enemy could have been killed, a bunch of lives could be saved, yeah. and to do it required Ren McGee to die. Boom. Here we here is where we're at. And Xenon's like, and that's how I became (laughs) Star-Lord. Yeah. (laughs) And then everyone died, which feels like that's half of what Marvel What Ifs are now. Pretty much. Um, Anyways, uh, I don't hate I agree with you that there's parts of it I do like. The, The Wrenchy McGee character is so transparently asta in another world basically that it's like all right come on like no 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 this one wears a scarf yeah this one's very different he doesn't have anti-magic but he does fight by whatever his magic is by turning into a sword so (laughs) it appears like it might be fire yeah probably fire but yeah it's fine um i'm fine with xenon getting the flashback i assume that's how we'll power him up and then you know do things from there yeah, all right. Well, with all that said, what was the best of this week?
0: Favorite series and MVP. That's um, good with that, yeah.
1: Favorites and MVP. So, I know my MVP, and I know I specifically said your had a very emotional moment this chapter that was very significant. But I love people with mushroom power so much. It's from <laughs> fucking Red Hood. i love mushroom powers they're the best
0: i'm kind of tempted in response to your pick to give mine to jesse for killing that shit that'd (laughs) be funny (laughs) killing (laughs) seiji if he stays dead i might retroactively say it's like jesse because he got rid of that stupid ass (laughs) character
1: but You're now, never going to forget Jesse if that dude stays dead. Every time Jesse stays shows, dead, every time Jesse comes up, we're like, yeah, Jesse! <laughs> Jesse! Yeah, my best friend!
0: Um, But uh, my answer for now is going to be Kikoru. I feel like there were a lot of standout characters in this week. Uh, standout series is more difficult for me, I think, because mm-hmm. I feel like it's easier to say, it's like, oh yeah, you had a really good chapter, yeah. Kikoru had a really good chapter. <laughs> Andy had
1: a really good chapter. Yeah, all those great options. Um, I, I I agree with you. I think series of the week is a lot harder. And I wish it could just be what my favorite series to talk about this week was. Because 100% it would have been Boruto. <laughs> but um, an actual quality, I think I'll give it to, uh Let me just run through everything in my mind one last time. I think I'm going to give it to Spy Family. Because at least it's the one I found myself thinking the most about after the fact. I think Promised Neverland was cool. Or not Promised Neverland, sorry. uh, The fuck's the other... It's Kaiju number eight. Cool. <laughs> it was cool. Kaiju number eight was cool. It was a well-executed story. But I think Spy Family just being a little bit more introspective in its... Execution is what makes me give it a little bit more of the uh, the, the lean here.
0: I get that. I'm going to give mine to the Elusive Samurai. That's right. Nick loved the Elusive Samurai. Can you believe that? There you go. I, I feel like the way that you know this all comes into like, hey, we're going to give the Elusive Warriors a chance to just look cool because they want to do something for their friend Lord guy. And then it turns out, no, we actually had a very strategic reason for going out and doing all this. And it's like, oh, that makes it even better. So, yeah. A lot of good stuff there.
1: Yeah, absolutely like that. Totally agree. Uh, the audience uh, said Kaiju number eight was their favorite series and then went with your as their MVP of the week. So I can absolutely get on board with uh, both of those.
0: Yeah. All right. That will cover it then, everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us for Weekly Manga Recap. We will see you all next week for the
1: end of statistics timber. <sighs> <sighs> It has been a long fucking month. I have felt every one of these days where I have been reading this series. I just want to note that now. Hmm.
0: But you can check us out next time on Weekly Munger Recap here on twitch.tv slash royalty. We will... I think try to start the episode a little bit early to give us more time to talk about history's strongest disciple Kenichi before we have to think into the recap portion, because we like to give nice hefty discussions for the Statistics of September series. And kenichi is not short for content to talk about. Like that much. Um, but to stay updated on when we record the show, you can follow us on Twitter at nickftime at ReloT at WMR Podcast. You can also check out our record episodes on weekly and wherever podcasts can be listened to, essentially, such as iTunes and Spotify. And you can also watch the video versions on YouTube.com slash recap, where you can see title cards done by Steve Mann, whose artwork you can check out on twitter.com slash Mann art. Uh-huh. And we would also like to extend special thanks to Milo Jack Stills and Winsdale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of said video versions of said podcast, which is this podcast, which you are listening to right now. And we'd like to extend special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon, patreon.com slash recap, and who is part of our Discord server, which you can join in on as well. We have great discussions on there about the manga when the chapters drop each week, about the series that we are covering for the recap, and uh, you can also participate in the game nights that are done there. And Mm -hmm. uh, there is also a link through the Discord where you can find the Google document that is maintained by NinjaX3i, where MVP and favorite series voting takes place and all sorts of helpful information about the show is kept. Uh, You might want to take a look in there if you have an idea for a spooky sort of series that you might want us to talk about, because Halloween month is just around the corner, and that is what we like to focus our recommendations on for the month of October.
1: Yes, and it should be noted, in case you would love to join the Patreon, we just posted a new episode where Nick and I do a top 10 of our biggest manga disappointments, which uh, I think everybody really dug. So go check that episode out. It's a good one. And uh, yeah, it's going to do it. Yes! Good night, everybody. I'm about to sneeze. (laughs) Yes!